Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi there everyone, moment episode 219 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on why a doctor is moving away from the BMI. And it is Saturday the 22nd of May 2022 as I record this. So the reason why I actually wanted to do with today's podcast episode is because if you're familiar with the BMI or the Body Mass Index, then you know it's actually quite problematic in general, but also when it comes to psychology. So in today's podcast episode, we're going to be exploring what is the BMI, what are its problems, and most importantly, why are medical doctors moving away from it in important for psychology? Because it really, really is. And this does have a lot of implications for clinical psychology, which I'm really excited about. Because right now, it's just a problem. It's a bit of a mess. And when it comes to eating disorders, this is possibly even more problematic. But it's really interesting, and I really did enjoy writing up today's podcast episode. So what you've got that to look forward to in the content parts of today's episode. But before that, if we move on to the psychology news section, we're reading from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And the first one also has a biological psychology aspect to it. Bodily sensations seem clearer in blind people. Sensing the world around us and seeing other bodies are sometimes linked in surprising ways. For example, previous research has shown blind people to have more sensitive hearing and to be better at detecting touch and smells than those with typical vision. Now, new research published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology General shows for the first time that blind people have also better at a form of inner bodily sensing, heartbeat counting, or cardiac interception. Previous work has found that sensing of bodily signals plays a key role in our emotional lives, and this new research could help to explain results from other studies, finding that blind people have superior emotional processing too. So this, I think, is an absolutely fascinating idea because because to be honest as you know i'm not that interested in cognitive psychology and biological psychology however though when it comes to emotional processing and those sort of like other like processes i have to admit that this is interesting and i think it's always a useful word to be aware of the mind and body link which we don't fully understand yet but we do understand that it's important and it's only through more future research that we're actually going to be able to understand it even more. 
So about the fact that we do now understand that blind people are actually better at emotional processing too, and we understand the biological mechanism behind it, then I suppose that the next step could possibly be, now that we understand why and how it works in blind people, is it possible to transfer this and actually make this useful for people with a typical sight too? Just everyone can benefit and to become better at emotional processing. I'm not sure how that would work, but I think it'd be absolutely fascinating to find out how. But again, though, that's just one potential area of future research. So the second one is heroization of the workers' funnels sends them to lower paying roles. In the US, military veterans suffer from a higher unemployment rate than their peers and often earn less than non-veterans with the same qualifications, write Matthew Stanley and colleagues in a new paper in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Attitudes and Cognition. Through a series of 11 individual studies, the team provides compelling evidence that these disadvantages happen at least partly because veterans are viewed as heroes. The research shows that the US public perceives veteran heroes to be selfless people who are better suited to lower paying jobs with, for example, an aid agency rather than an investment bank, even if they have the necessary qualifications and experience to work at either. Open quote. This work not only offers insights into the important real-world problem, but also offers a first experimental investigation of the consequences and implications of labelling a group of people as heroes. Close quote. They write. So this, I think, is really, really interesting because if you watch any American TV programme, and if you're not in America yourself, like I'm not, all you see is how obsessed they are with like with the like military and that's not a bad thing that like, i think that we're like um i know they're really like dedicated to their military so partly this does like see surprise me but from what i understand of american culture the whole um being a like, veteran and actually serving in like the military makes you basically a god amongst them at least that's how the US media portrays them 99% of the time. So the fact that the US public, who does see them as a hero and basically a god, actually thinks that they're better suited to lower paid jobs, I think is great because you would have thought that heroes, you would want to help up as much as you can in like society. So I think this works really interesting. It definitely highlights a lot of um, inconsistencies and uh, problems with like cultural belief because I know that even though the US public is obsessed with uh, like the military, i.e. like I still know that there aren't a lot of like initiatives uh, specifically targeted at helping them though, but that also has a lot to do with the lack of mental health support and a whole bunch of other problems. So really interesting. And I think the whole labelling aspect of a, a group of people as heroes is also particularly good because 
because this really doesn't change the whole idea that the heroes are getting in a society when they don't necessarily do. So interesting and it's okay that we've got the evidence so it'd be interesting to see what the next steps are. So the last one is, is it better to be happier now or happier later? Many decisions come down to happiness. If we spy a chocolate cake, we're like a bite of, many of us would grab a fork and take the plunge. Others, however, might show more self-restraint. Whether or not we believe in delaying gratification of taking short-term pleasure can often make or break decisions like these. Those of us who prefer to seize the joy in the moment might be more inclined to go for that little treat that doesn't contribute to a longer-term goal, whilst those more into delayed gratification might find it easier to say no. A new study by academics from across the US and Australia has taken a look at the decisions we make in pursuit of happiness and finds that these beliefs about happiness influence our actions Writing in the Journal of Emotion, the team suggests that thinking of happiness as flexibly changes our, changing our behaviour in different contexts could offer significant well-being benefits. And this I really do agree with like, for the most part because as I was like, reading that, I was thinking that, that it's really hard to know if you are one of these people that really likes to seize like, the moment. Or if you prefer just to delay your gratification though, because I think it really does depend on the moment and it depends on the individual decision. So I know that a lot of people prefer to think about happiness as this fixed thing, meaning that you're always going to be one of these seize the day type of people, or you're always only going to be one of these delay gratification people. But I think that I know in my personal experience that I'm very much uh, that I'm very much in between, and it really does depend on the choice. <laughs> For example, I know when it comes to food, sometimes I can say no, sometimes I can't, depends on my mood. But also, if it comes to something that would harm my long-term goals, then um, to be honest, I am more likely to say no because I'm slightly obsessed with the long term to the point that it's a major major fault <laughs> because for example like today because both my parents are away for the weekend I was actually thinking about going to London and having uh, some fun like up there because of a number of like business things I've actually decided to stay home like get that done even though they're actually quite fun like in uh, themselves but just so I know that my business is a better offer just so in uh, the future I can like reap the rewards. So it really does depend on the decision. So I hope you enjoyed the psychology news section. So let's move on to the person update. So moving on to the person update. This week has been really, really fun, really chaotic and absolutely brilliant. Um, some of it I just can't tell you about because it's not psychology related but the thing for the past two days I actually can so Thursday was my graduation I finally graduated I'm finally a psychology graduate and I am so so happy 
I'm not going to talk about it too much because I am actually doing a podcast episode on it in a moment. At least I hope I can because I am recording this in at the evening. And at some point I do want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, but graduation, so much fun. Absolutely loved it. I was really nervous, really quite anxious. But that was more because of the reception and I was concerned that because a number of people who I'm friends with, they weren't going because they're, in, because they're doing Camp America in the US at the moment. I didn't know if I was going to have anyone to talk to, but thankfully I did. So, brilliant day. Absolutely loved it. Your graduation. Of course, I'm talking to people that are still at university here. Is that your graduation is a, a great day. day though. The only tip I would give... And this is a tip that I texted my friend um, like last night, is that um, when you graduate, at least in my AFI experience, whenever you go to get your professional photos done, done like, of course you can take your parents with you, but also take your partner, because tons of people were getting couple photos too, though, so, and you can actually get some quite nice ones. Of course, I didn't, but... Um, but it's like just a really like useful tip and my friend was uh, grateful for it so I thought that all of you guys might be too. And then the only other thing that I wanted to mention in this um, personal update was that I donated blood for the first time like yesterday and the reason why I want to talk to you about it is because I have no problem doing a bit of a like, blood donation like promotion here because yeah, because I've been meaning to do it for ages. I've been meaning to do it since last September. And the reason why I wanted to do it was because I always knew it, it was really like, nice and easy. And to be honest, if I can save up to three lives per hour of like, my time, then that's a great bonus, I think. And I sort of realised as I was like, assisting in a like, blood chair, like, um, when I was actually doing a, like, doing a like, donation, that, I really do love helping people, like whether it's through my books and I give you guys like knowledge of a bit of like entertainment, if it's do this podcast, I kill a bit of like your time, I kill a bit of like um, my time and hopefully I uh, share really useful like content and then it's also like with my future clinical like psychology work, I want to help people, people though, so I guess doing blood donation would just be an extra logical step and I am a like organ donor um anyway but I was quite nervous because if you're in the UK then you know there are very very strict laws around um gay men giving blood so I was quite nervous about that thankfully um nothing actually came up even though it wouldn't because I was basically panicking for like, um no reason because she's just filling like the form and like stuff but it was really like um like friendly and the actual needle going in it's actually not as painful as you think and once it's in it's actually fine so the entire point of me telling like you this is that if you want to do blood donation definitely do because of my experience it's fine and I will definitely be doing it again I can't give again till um October but I will definitely be doing it because it's great it's like um saves lives and an hour of my time it's definitely not worth a lot when I can save up to three lives 
And as always, I always add love to your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley, connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment at the show and it's at connorwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tune on Twitter at sci-fi Wiley. And you can also leave a comment on the Facebook post at Connor Whiteley, Psychology Author. I always love to hear from all of you because it really has made the podcast feel more a conversation. And today's podcast episode has been sponsored by Biological Psychology. So this is an absolute brilliant book that I really do enjoy because Biological Psychology is a really interesting area that focuses on how our biological processes impact our behaviour. Whether this is hormones, the nervous system, our brains, evolution and so many more absolutely brilliant topics that I had a lot of fun um, learning about and uh, researching. So uh, this is a really like, popular book that lots of people love and enjoy like, reading about. So if you want to un- understand more about how our biology impacts our behaviour, then definitely check it out. So there's biological psychology available on all major ebook retailers, and you can get the payback and hardback loan from Amazon, your local bookstore, or local library if you request it. And you can get the ebook directly from me at payhit.com forward slash Conwightly. So whilst buying books helps us to support the editing and the creation of the podcast, my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And as always, an absolute massive thank you to my wonderful patrons because your support shows that you like the show and you want to continue. So if you wanted to become a patron and get access to the blog posts early and a whole host of other great benefits, then you can now become a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. So that's enough for the person update. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about why a doctor's moving away from the BMI. So let's dive into it. Personally, this doesn't actually surprise me that this is happening within the medical field, since if you've done clinical psychology before, this is a a subset of arguments that I've actually learned about recently. There were a lot of problems with the BMI, and we will talk about these, but I do welcome the vote by the American Medical Association to move away from the BMI. In addition, in case you're new to the body mass index, This is the formula where a person's weight in kilograms is divided by the square of their height in meters. Then the result of this formula is is classified into one of four categories. They are underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese. These labels aren't there in the US medical system at all. And as someone from the UK, I vaguely hear these labels too. However, what's really interesting is the history behind the BMI. Because once you know the history of this formula, then you will start to question why on earth it's used in medicine in the first place. Because it isn't based on evidence at all. What is the history of the BMI? The weird thing about the BMI is that it was invented in the 1830s by a Belgium 
statistician because they wanted to describe the average man. And I suppose that this is fine, fair enough, because we all want to research and describe things from time to time. Nonetheless, it arose to popularity in the medical field during the 1970s by the physiologist Ansel Keynes, since he was looking for a better way for the US health insurance companies to estimate a person's body fat. The theory behind this is that there's a correlation between someone's body fat and the risk of them dying. In other words, he wanted to make it more effective for the US health insurance companies to charge people more money if they had more body fat. Now, as someone from the UK, and I, to be honest, I, to be honest, at this point, I really don't doubt the US health insurance companies will sadly move into this country in my lifetime, even though I really hope that never happens. I think that this is awful and crazy and harsh because I've only ever heard horror stories um, from Americans about the health insurance companies. Like, I didn't actually include this in like, the blog post, but I was absolutely horrified to find out that just because an American has health insurance, it doesn't actually mean that the insurance covers everything um, when it comes to their like, medical bills. Because to me, in my experience in, in the UK definition of insurance, insurance covers everything. <laughs> yeah, so I really hope the US companies never move into the UK. Anyway, the BMI was a much better and simpler calculation for finding out someone's body fat compared to the methods used by the, by the US health insurance companies at the time. Furthermore, to be fair, we have to admit that the BMI is very useful as evaluating large populations, but it is a lot less helpful for evaluating a single person's health. The reason for this is because there is no way at all to quantify a person's muscle and bone mass. So athletes tend to have a BMI because of the higher muscle mass, yet according to BMI, they might be overweight. Another example is that as a person ages, they lose muscle mass and increase abdominal fat, and this unhealthy change isn't picked up by the BMI. A third problem is that the BMI was mainly developed uh, as well as tested on white men. men. Yet a person's uh, body composition varies massively between genders, ethnicities, and races. For example, a perfectly healthy black woman might appear to be overweight or even a beast according to the BMI. This is why the BMI is a, is a rather useless metric if we really look into it. Tomwami and all 2016 Whilst there are a lot of studies that investigate the sheer number of people that are miscategorized by the BMI, I do want to focus on this particular study. Due to this particular one, actually compares the BMI against other measures of health, including blood pressure, insulin resistance, glucose, cholesterol, and a few others in over 40,000 adults. The results demonstrated uh, nearly half of the overweight people, as well as 30% of the obese people, again, both of them I say in air quotes, uh, had healthy metabolism. Moreover, 
more than 30% of the people with a so-called normal weight had an unhealthy metabolism. Therefore, if you take this number and apply it to the US population, then this means there are over 74 million people in, in the US that are misclassified as unhealthy or healthy according to the BMI. As a result, whilst the BMI isn't perfect, and I believe it has very, very limited uses, the American Medical Association doesn't want to resign it to history. Instead, they want doctors to use other factors to determine someone's health, like those used in the study above. And this is a very good quote from the American Medical Association Intermediate Past President, Dr. Jack Resnick. Open quote. There are numerous concerns with the way the BMI has been used to measure body fat and diagnose obesity. Yet some physicians find it helpful to measure in certain scenarios. It is important to physicians to understand the benefits and limitations of using BMI in clinical settings to determine the best care for their patients. Close quote. Conclusion. At the end of this podcast episode, I have that I really am going through a biological psychology phase at the moment for a reason I flat out do not understand. Yet I wanted to do this podcast episode because I heard about the disadvantages of the BMI and I just haven't looked into them until now. I understand why the BMI isn't great and I really hope that medical doctors do start to walk away from the BMI properly. And this brings us back to psychology, because as much as I hated, and I truly, truly hate this, since the American Psychological Association has a lot of medical input, the BMI requirements for a lot of eating disorders will not be replaced with something more useful to psychologists until the medical doctors get rid of it themselves. This is another reason why we need to move beyond diagnosis like I've spoken about on previous podcast episodes. Anyway, until that happens, we will have to put up with the BMI form a little longer, and we can start to slowly use other measures of our body fat in the meantime, but this is certainly a step in the right direction. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. Like I said, I am definitely going through a biological psychology phase at the moment. But to be honest, I think it was just because I gave blood yesterday. So I'm interested in the biology at the moment. So if you know someone who enjoyed today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast. And definitely check out Biological Psychology available in all the usual places and if you wanted to become a, a patron of the show then definitely check out patreon.com forward slash the psychology world podcast so have a great day everyone and i'll see you next time thanks for listening today i hope you found it helpful Please have remember to like the video and subscribe to the, the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhiteley.net.
Seb. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.